The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. College basketball conference tournament tip-off edition with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my right, Steve Fezzik. In front of me, Brad Powers. I'm R.J. Bell. Guys, this show is jam-packed, and we are going to move forward at a vigorous pace overrated underrated we've got conference tournament handicapping tips bubble teams how do you handicap those bubble teams dave essler with some taped comments on that multiple good feedback from mr essler also the biggest games on saturday including north carolina duke free picks as you could expect in the nba we've got a power ratings underrated team a team people think isn't playing hard but boy fezzik thinks they're playing hard also fezzik is telling you a system on how to play tanking teams teams he's identified as tanking and he's going to be very specific about which teams those are plus two bonus segments at the end of the podcast one how to handicap the ncaa investigation and i think it's important and lastly oscars you might say oscars who cares i've got a trend that's 29 and 0 20 that's perfection i mean i'm not a mathematician that is perfection and oh by the way there's five instances of that trend this Oscar season, a 29 and 0 trend. But as we always like to start, Brad Powers, the college basketball specialist, give us your overrated team of the week. It's Xavier. Uh, team Xavier currently ranked number three, number three in the AP poll. In my power ratings, I have Xavier only number 13, not even a top 10 team. And let, let's break down Xavier and why I think they're overrated. It's a couple factors for me. Number one is you look at the top 15 teams in the country. Every single one of those top 15 teams has a top 40 defense, except Xavier. Xavier doesn't have a top 50 defense, not a top 60 defense, not even a top 70 defense. So they are much weaker on one side of the ball than any other top 15 team. Another thing that I think Xavier is overrated in, you look at the conference as a whole, the conferences they play in the Big East. It's a solid conference, a lot of balance in the conference, but only two top 20 teams, Xavier and Villanova. And what has happened when Xavier's played Villanova? It's been an absolute beatdown. They stepped up in class. They've lost two times by 20 points per game. And that defense in those games really let them down, gave up more than 90 points per game. Xavier overrated. Strongly agree with that. And I actually watched all of the Xavier Villanova, the second game in Xavier and Villanova went like nine for 11 from three in the first half. And oftentimes we say, oh, three point variance, you know, you can't handicap that. But those so, were, so saying maybe Villanova got lucky is the first thought you're saying. Exactly. If you looked at the box score, but I watched the game, it was terrible defense. They Xavier double teamed at the wrong times. They gave Villanova wide open looks the entire first half. Xavier is a great bully. They beat up on medium teams but they are not good defensively to be worthy of being a top 10 team. And that's something it's hard to quantify on paper is how much of a good shooting performance is luck. And there certainly is an element of that and how much of it was bad defense. And the eye test can really help with those assessments. Another thing you said, Brad, I thought was very, I guess it perked my ears up. 
is in college football and basketball, the conference you play in is so important because the out-of-conference games often are not competitive. And, you know, some teams maybe, you know, they'll play a holiday tournament or schedule some tough games. And, you know, Kansas, for example, will often schedule some tough games. But in general, it's the conference games that matter. And if that conference is very overrated or underrated, it can really affect the perception of a team because that record is always front and center, that one loss record. So you're saying, hey, we've got a conference that's overrated. They got one other good team in it, and that team's dominated this Xavier team. And thus, and and I'm guessing they're out of conference early season stuff wasn't all that impressive. It, it was impressive to a certain extent, but their most impressive win over Cincinnati. And, and who's Cincinnati? Cincinnati's a team playing in a weaker conference that's been a big bully to the rest of their opponents. So that marquee win was just over another team that's similar like Xavier. We always ask this question. So when it's an overrated team, we're looking to play against them. Where is the ideal spot to play against Xavier. Well, anytime, in my opinion, that they're facing a legit top 20 caliber team. And again, it hasn't happened only twice here in conference play. So if they match up with Villanova and it's something we're going to get to in a little bit, hey, it's not that hard to beat a, a team three consecutive times in a season when you're just that much better than them. I'll be looking to fade them if they match up against Villanova in the Big East final. And anytime in the NCAA tournament, if they're playing a perceived team, at least in my opinion, clearly top 20, I'll be looking to fade Xavier. Here's my question, though. If we were asking what are the games that Xavier has a especially good chance of losing straight up, obviously it'd be against the better teams. Why would Xavier be especially prone to lose against the spread, said another way, fall short of expectation against a really good team? Because they look so impressive, they win and cover uh, against teams like Seton Hall and Butler. Good, but not great teams. The market says, hey, man, they just beat it. Okay, a solid so team this, covered. Okay, so teams that fall into this profile are often very well coached, very disciplined, but the way they overperform against lesser teams make them seem better than they are, and thus when they play teams that are truly better than Xavier in this case, then the, the disparity in talent is bigger than anyone realized. Correct. Is that what it is? Okay. Absolutely. And, and and that is a, Fez, that's a common profile, right? And we get this somewhat in the NBA, which is teams that are super consistent throughout the year, a Spurs or whatever over the last 10 years, oftentimes they're overrated come the playoffs because they don't have um, – much of a range of effort. They're, they're, they're usually trying pretty hard and not making mistakes and not losing those close games. But come the playoffs where everyone's trying hard, they tend to be overrated. Yes. And Xavier in particular has tended to underperform whenever the markets get high on them in the big dance. They typically win a couple games. Everyone talks about how they're going to make the final four and they fall on their face because frankly, they're just never a top 10 team. Do you think that history with Xavier is applicable? Oh, very much so. The co- so the coach is the same? No, they, they've had a revolving door at coaches. So why is it applicable? I just don't think Xavier is able to attract the top-level talent. So you're saying this is back to the conversation we had in the last couple of weeks, which is there's an institutional range for these schools, and Xavier, uh, to really be a top 10, would be out of their 
institutional high range. Exactly. So the only way they make it into the top 10 is an aberration for a short sample year. By the end of the year, they're never in that top 10. At Steve Fezzik. And that was, though, Brad Powers overrated team, Xavier. Next up, and for those that are consistent listeners, you don't need an introduction out of Dave Esler. This guy brings the knowledge. Here's his overrated team. On, on the other side of that coin is teams that are, uh, are in and probably still have national title aspirations that, that don't need to have good showings. And, and the first one would be Kansas. You know, they, uh, they had a tough game. Uh, they didn't blow, didn't blow Texas out uh, Monday night as much as everybody thought they would in their senior night. Uh, they certainly don't need to win the Big 12 tourney. They're already a projected number one seed in the West. And and at Oklahoma State Saturday, I, I certainly won't take Kansas. And interestingly enough, you know, last year they made it to the Elite Eight, but they lost to TCU in the first round of the conference tournament. And, and that gives them extra rest. Uh, in some of their deep runs in the last few years, uh, they have gotten knocked out early. Their one Final Four in 2012, they lost early to Baylor. So, so they're a team that uh, I, I don't think we want to – we want to put too much stock in until the until the big brackets come out. And I think this is especially the case with Kansas. I agree with you 100% because of how motivated this team was, Kansas, to continue the streak of the Big 12 regular season conference victories. And they actually were down a game, as I'm sure you know, against Tech. And then they came back and now have it locked up. So if anything, I think the motivation historically for Bill Self in Kansas in the Big 12 tournament has been hit or miss. And I think this year you're 100% correct. Now, there's a second team, same kind of logic, whereas motivation ending the season, motivation in the conference tournaments, questionable. That team is Duke. Yeah, I mean, and Duke's in a very similar position to Kansas in that, you know, they want to win the whole thing. And and Duke, you know, and we've talked for the last several weeks about youth being a, a potentially a big problem. And, you know, look what happened to them at Virginia Tech. I mean, I don't know that I've seen a, a Duke team melt down quite that badly in some time. You know, they need the rest. They've also got a huge game coming up this weekend uh, against hated North Carolina, and that's going to sap an awful lot of energy out of them, uh, whether they whether they want to win it for future or not. They want to win it. Um, so uh, Duke's a team that, you know, I don't know what, what I would do with the, uh, the UNC game this weekend. I'm, I'm sure you guys, uh, Brad has a take on that, but they're certainly not a team in the ACC tournament. Um, I'm going to put any money on. All right, we're back. And I should have clarified, slightly different approach from Esler this week. His approach was which teams, because of the lack of clear motivation, maybe don't play as hard as you would expect. So in a way, they're overvalued because unless you account for the fact that they lack motivation, um, uh, you're probably going to overvalue them. So let's ask him, and there's two teams, obviously, KU, Kansas, and Duke. Uh, Brad, do you agree that Kansas unlikely to be trying really hard either the rest of the regular season or the conference championship. Yeah, I, I think past history says, yeah, questionable motivation because, yeah, they, Kansas has won 14 straight regular season titles in the Big 12, but I think in the last four or five years they've only won one Big 12 conference tournament championship. I would disagree slightly with their last game 
Oklahoma State, an Oklahoma State team that beat them already. And we threw the stat out on last uh, last week's podcast. Kansas has never lost to the same team in the regular season twice in Big 12 play. And how many times um, in that second matchup did they win? So is it 17-0? It's 18-0 now, only three on the road. This one happens to be on the road again at Oklahoma State. Okay, so... You know, a buddy of mine that knows Kansas pretty well said the same thing. But, man, at some point, you know, it's it's the same thing you hear about motivation with anything in business or whatever. It's like you can only go to the well so often, right? So it's like, hey, guys, we've got this amazing streak in the Big 12, so we got to play hard, hard, hard. Okay, we we went into tech and we won, so we're fine. But, oh, then, but, you know, we'll play hard Monday, too. But oh yeah, play hard Saturday too. It's like at some point, like this this eighteen and zero on rematches. If I had to guess what the bandwidth of consideration was, how much that matters to Kansas relative to the conference titles. If the conference title streak was a hundred, I would think this eighteen and zero is a twenty at best. Right? I Does you, anyone disagree? I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And remember, only three of those wins were on the road. So most of these wins were at Fog Allen. It's hard to navigate the fog. But, but, but again, that's bringing up an interesting point, but I, I think it's a separate point. The point I'm hearing you bring up is that 18-0 shouldn't dictate the betting on Saturday because it's really only 3-0 if you're on the road the second game. I agree with you. But is that existence of the 18 and 0 something that's going to motivate the team to make it 19 and 0 that's a separate conversation right is is there a predictive value in the streak is the first conversation and then the second conversation is is does the streak motivate Kansas i think you're right the fazic is there's no predictive value in the streak because it's a straight up streak and it's only 3 and 0 on the road but I also think that motivation is little to none because of that streak. Anyone disagree? Nope. Next. Well, it's real simple. Our third overrated participant, Steve Fazek. Are we going to talk about Duke? Dave's opinion on Duke? Oh, that's though? a good point. So quickly, say uh, uh, same agreement that this Duke team questionable motivation? Mm, you know, slight. I'm indifferent on Duke because I think they're going to be motivated because they just lost a game against Virginia Tech. So when you say Tech. indifferent, more new, you're indifferent to that concept and neutral on their motivation. Yes, I am with regards to Duke. I think we see a very motivated Duke game, obviously, upcoming on Saturday against North Carolina. I actually disagree with Dave. Every time I watch an ACC tournament with Duke, I see Duke and Coach K going all out to win each and every year. That's something that North Carolina sometimes doesn't do, but Coach K wants to win. It's like Belichick. He wants to win every game. I think because, and we're going to get to the conference tournaments, because some of them are a week early this year in the Big Ten being, is there any other ones that's extra early? Not major ones. So there's no. the natural early ones and now the Big Ten. And I think it's important to remember this whole concept of not wanting to play three or four games through Sunday when you have to then play in the NCAA tournament a couple days later super valid and that's kind of one of the reasons I think coach self has never really focused on the big 12 tournament win a game so it, you know it's not a headline that you lose you lose the second one I'm not saying he's trying to lose I'm saying just that it's like a preseason game right they're not trying to lose but you're going to play a certain level of vigor and preparation you're going to be vanilla or not right based on how much you really want to win but you get eliminated on a Thursday, let's say, and you have a week off or even eight days, a lot better 
than if you have to play not only through Sunday, but a game each day. And Mark Lawrence used to have a good trend. I'm guessing he still does. Where if a team wins one of the major conference tournaments on Sunday, because some of them end Saturday, but on Sunday, and then play on Thursday, uh, fading that team was historically quite good. And that's why the format change in the Big Ten is critical that you've got coaches like Tom Izzo that oftentimes would not take the tournament seriously this year, since the Big Ten's playing a week before everyone else, you got to feel everyone's going to be all in to win that title. All right, so underrated is next. Right now, recapping overrated. Brad on Xavier. We had Essler with KU and Duke and more about lack of motivation, disagreement with Fezzik on Duke especially. Now, Fez, your overrated team. Overrated team. Let's go back to the Big East. Creighton. Here's a team that lost a key glue guy, Martin, and I'm going to kill the pronunciation um, Brad, maybe you can help me out with this. No, I can't. I said I refused to say his name. Cramp, a couple weeks ago. Cramp, spell, spell it. K R A M E L J. Crampelge. He's the leading rebounder for Creighton. He's a big man, and he yeah. he's very very valuable. You know something? Wait, that's not the right music for that. <laughs> say his name, Martin Crampelge. Again. Martin Krampelich. I can't hear you. I believe he was on the Norwegian um, Olympic team as well. <laughs> but he's he's a very important guy since he's. You know that actually went better than I thought. Yeah. That was great. Since he left Creighton, they're two and seven against the spread. Their leading rebounders out, and I'm thinking, all right, well, the time to fade Creighton has come and gone. We're not going to get a shot anymore because the markets are going to realize they're just not very good. But what happens? They beat Villanova. In a great game, they take out Villanova, win outright. So now they're going to get a lot of credit for that. And I really think we're going to get great value fading Creighton going forward off of that win against what arguably is the best team in the country. Brett? Yeah, and I agree with that. And I came into the the Villanova game saying, hey, when Creighton steps up to the level of competition when they're actually in an underdog role, they were 0-8 against the spread prior to the Villanova game. That'll wash a lot of that away because they won outright. And that was misleading. They were down 8 with like 5 minutes left. So the fact that they pulled the outright upset there in overtime was a little bit misleading. Remember, this is a Villanova team that was raining threes down against Xavier. They're a great three-point shooting team. They go 12 for 39. They just couldn't make them that day. Same question as always is if we're looking again, an overrated team, we're looking to fade them. What's the ideal spot to fade Creighton? I think the Big East tournament because their last game's on the road at Marquette. And then they got to go all the way back to Nebraska and then all the way out to Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament. They're missing a key guy, so they don't have that much depth. If they can win a game, fading them the second and third games, they won't get that far. Fade them the second game in the Big East tournament, the optimal spot. Okay, so the theory there is it's situational, right? So we're not profiling the team, but rather you're saying there's a tough situation coming up for them, and thus being overrated might be a half a point or a point. Tough situation, the market might not be properly valuing, thus we're aggregating these edges in a way that gives us enough of an edge for a good bet. Yes, and also Creighton is a bully. They're somewhat similar to a bad savior. They beat up on the bad teams fine. When they got to step up in class and play a good team, they typically fall on their face. That's why this win against Villanova was so unlikely. Pregame.com, I'm RJ Bell. In a few minutes, we're going to be getting to the bubble teams and how to handicap those. But next, the underrated teams, Brad Powers. We're going with Baylor this week and a team that's not even rated. In fact, they, they didn't receive a single vote in this week's AP Top 25. But in my power ranks, publish them each and every week in the pregame.com for, uh, forums on Friday. I still have Baylor number 21 in the country. 
And here's a team that I, I think the market's completely thrown in the trash because they've lost two straight games. But you look at the two losses, a top 20 TCU team on the road and to a West Virginia team that I was on last week's podcast said, hey, this is an underrated team. Here's a team that's not being priced as far as the AP poll like a top 20 team, but West Virginia, a legitimate top 10 team. So those two losses for Baylor, I, I didn't downgrade their power rating as much as the market. And you look at prior to that, 5-0 and straight up and against the spread. They have a top 20 defense, a top 15 as far as strength of schedule. They played a top 15 schedule. I, I like Baylor and think they're underrated. Would you say, you know, this is a question I haven't asked much, but it, it interests me always. Is this a wise guy kind of consensus opinion? Whereas, you know, you'll hear guys that talk about wise guys say, well, you know, a lot of the wise guys think this. And then sometimes it's one wise guy in this case, maybe Brad Powers, because I'm, I'm always most interested in opinions when there's one person that's adamant because I feel like it's less likely it's built into, you know, cause it's always hard to know if an opinion is built into the number because it's like, well, what, there's no like authority to tell us what the number should be. Right. So like Nebraska, right. We'll talk about them a little bit later. They, they've had an amazing ATS run but they keep getting bet against. And I hear you guys say, well, I don't see that ATS run built into the number. It's like, yeah, but that presupposes, you know, exactly what the number should be. And I think within range power ratings tell you that, but you never know. So Fez, would you agree with me when, if someone comes to you and has an amazing take on a team and it's the only person you ever heard say that, you know, in the recent time, because this is things that change a lot. Right. So in a given week, someone says, here's why I think, Team X at 60 to one is a decent bet to win the title. It's like, wow, 60 to one. And he makes the case and it makes so much sense. Aren't you more inclined to want to act on it if he's the only guy talking about it? Yes, if the markets have largely ignored the team. However, but it's back to the idea you're not sure if they ignored the team. However, RJ, in a case where the markets have been moving aggressively against that team, Oftentimes I'm worried, who are these pros that are betting opposite of that opinion? But we just said you love it when you're on a side all by yourself. And I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the that's the presupposition, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, well here's my problem with Baylor. I got to ask Brad this. So last week when we were taping, Baylor was playing a fine West Virginia team. And I know money came on West Virginia before the game started. And then shortly after the national anthem, boom, West Virginia's up. 30 on Baylor. How does that happen to a top 20 team at home? Well, uh, that's West Virginia style of play. I mean, how does it happen to a top 10 Texas Tech team? They're down 14 nothing against West Virginia. That, that can have West Virginia has these types of games where you have great disparity as far as the game flow. I mean, West Virginia on the negative side has blown three double digit ha- second half leads against Kansas the last two years. Would it be fair to say that Baylor does not handle the press well, and that might be their weakness. It could, but it was also a bad spot for Baylor. They're off a marquee win against Texas Tech. That was like their biggest home win in the season. And West Virginia was plenty angry after a loss against Kansas where they stayed on the road and they were 100% fully focused on that one. So would you say Baylor being underrated is a common wise guy opinion? I would say more often than not, but let, let me say where I'm looking to play Baylor because I, I kind of hit, I didn't mention this when I said they're underrated. Here's a very deep team, and we'll talk about this, what you're looking for teams in conference tournaments. They go eight deep, and it's just not that. It's the fact that they have two guys that only average more than 30 minutes a game. 
They have the, their other six players that they use all average between 21 and 24 minutes. So here's a team that I think is fully capable of playing two de- two games, three games in, in those set amount of days. So I'll be looking to play on Baylor throughout the course of the Big 12 tournament. So you're saying in that rare spot where depth matters the most because you're playing multiple games at once is that's a uh, Baylor is uh <clears throat> particularly suited for that spot yes they're not a, a team that has three four guys that are playing 30 plus minutes and in fact they're they're 30 plus minute guys are low 30 so they don't have a guy that's putting in all the minutes like a trey young is for oklahoma okay Esler's next now this was the same concept these were teams that he thinks are underrated or undervalued but the driver again being perceived on his part motivation I'm going to give you a team that I think is very underrated going into this weekend and into the tournament and uh, at conference tournaments, and that's Mississippi State. Uh, if you remember, we gave them out as an undervalued team a few weeks ago, and since then, uh, they're seven and two straight up and eight and one ATS with their only uh, eight their only uh, straight up loss being at Missouri and a one point loss at Vanderbilt. The latest Lenardi bracket has them in the first four out, so they have every reason to finish and and uh, have a really good showing in the SEC tournament. So it sounds like, Dave, we've got a combination here, a team that you still think is a little bit, at minimum, underrated, and a team that's going to be extra motivated. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you know, they're playing in the SEC, which, you know, as you know, is a is a very up conference this year, and they're, they're sitting behind all the big guns, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, and Arkansas. So, you know, I think they're still very much under the radar, at least uh, outside of the state of Mississippi. Your second team you expect motivation out of is Notre Dame. I do. I like Notre Dame. Uh, we gave them out as an undervalued team, knowing that Colson might be back and that their motivation is still there to make the tournament. And what's interesting is Ken Palm has them ranked 29th right now. And I think last year, the only team uh, in that area that did not make the tournament was Indiana. So they have a pretty good shot. You know, Colson's upgraded the probable Wednesday night against Pittsburgh, who they should obviously destroy. And if they can even have a reasonably close game at Virginia and Virginia's not really going to be overly motivated. They don't, they don't need to win for any particular reason. Uh, then I think Notre Dame is, is, uh, is probably in there and, and they're, they're not a team I want to be on the side of right now. We're back to teams, Mississippi state, Notre Dame, Brad, which one do you agree with the most? Uh, Notre Dame more than Mississippi State. Reason not Mississippi State. They have been underrated, obviously, in the marketplace, but the markets are catching up. That team a couple weeks ago, I would see like a two, three-point difference between my power ratings on a game-by-game basis. Last couple of games, man, that's gotten really tight. But Notre- rem- remember now, Esler's concept is maybe there's some residual underratedness left, but also this is a team that's going to be extra motivated. Absolutely, but I think a lot of times, we'll talk about it, I think bubble teams, people are aware who's on the bubble, and a lot of times that's priced in the marketplace, because there's this perception, hey, this team absolutely has to win this game, they'll be motivated. I think Notre Dame is a unique bubble team, because a lot of these bubble teams just aren't that good, that's why they're in the bubble. Notre Dame is that good, but they've had not just Colson's injury, they've had multiple injuries that's why they're on the bubble. That's why they're the team that I think the market won't catch up to. Next up, our last underrated team recapping, though, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, with more of a motivational focus from Esler, Baylor from Brad Powers, now Steve Fezzik. Under the radar, let's go to the Missouri Valley Loyola of Chicago, 25-5. and five. They've been the class of the bad Missouri Valley all year long, but they're 23-2 and two straight up when their point guard goes. 
Custer, he was out for four games. They went one and three in conference in those games. They're a completely different team. Since he's been back, they're 14 and one. Their one loss was by two points. They're almost 15 and 0. The time to play this team, RJ, I think if they win their conference tourney, they're going to have to win the tourney to make the big dance. They're going to be one of these 12 5, 13 4 type matchups that can pull the upset. I tell you, a recurring theme with you, Fez, seems to be the players when they're absent. And maybe they're still absent unless you play against them or they've come back a game or two. They've shown they've integrated and you say, hey, over the last 10 games are bad. But if you zero in on the last two, they're good. Uh, how, what percentage of your bets side bets? Right. So against the spread bets, would you say are injury related in college basketball? I think it's right around 50 yeah. percent. RJ, I think typically also it's not the top 10 teams because everyone knows what's going on with those teams. The further you go down the echelon, the more likely you can find a team like a Nebraska that the market never catches up to. And any, I love approaches to handicapping that algorithms, that computers, however you want to say it, cannot easily replicate. Because if you're handicapping with stats, but you're doing it touchy-feely, oh, you're in trouble. Because you're using the same data as an algorithm but the algorithm's a lot smarter than you, right? But if it's something the algorithms struggle with, I think that's where there's edges. And I think algorithms struggle with injuries, right? They want not, That's why chess is such a great game for a computer. Nothing changes, right? There's a set number of pieces. They move a certain way. There's 64 squares. There's all these things, but they never change, right? And in basketball or any sport, things change like injuries. And I think that's where the market can misprice stuff. All right. Next up, bubble teams. Brad, you kind of teased ahead about sometimes the public knows and thus the market accounts for it or maybe even over accounts for it. Esler's got some theories on bubble teams. First, let's get your thoughts. Yeah, I'm not and obviously not looking to blindly take anything, but I'm not always prone to playing on bubble teams. Number one, you're in a must-win situation. That creates extra pressure, maybe extra nerves. Hey, we got to win this game. Our season might be done with. We're not going to the NCAA tournament. You know, second of all, Bubble teams, why are you on the bubble? You could be either be A, you're just not that good, or B, you're inconsistent. Maybe you, you can beat a Villanova. Yeah, hold on a second. If anything, that's what I want. If I got a team that's on the bubble because of inconsistency, and now they have to win, it feels analogous to the NBA situation, right? With, the with let's say, the Cavs being the prototype of this the last few years, where if, you, if, the, if the biggest uncertainty game to game is more certain in this game? Aren't those teams underrated? Yeah, I mean, if motivation is the factor of why you're inconsistent, maybe it's... But what else could there be? Well, I think a lot of times you got inconsistent offensive play from these teams. Like a Syracuse is good defensively. So more outside. Okay, that's interesting. So what you're saying is, you know, it's the old adage, defense travels and all that, right? Yeah. So you can, if you make the effort, the defense is always there. With something like shooting a basketball, you can just be off. Yep. All right. And also, I mean, I and this goes into the th- the fact that look, everyone's looking at these bracket projections out there. They know who's on the bubble. The market does, and a lot of times I see these bubble teams in a must-win sh- situation. You're normally laying an extra half point or a point in the marketplace. I got to tell you, my favorite bubble team wise guy betting technique: give me two bubble teams playing on a neutral site. I'm not exactly sure why, but when teams play on a neutral site, there are more unders than overs. And give me two teams that need the game like blood to go dancing. That is a recipe for five to two first TV timeout. 
but what you're saying is conference tournaments. Yes. Because that's the only time they're going to play neutral this late in the year. Yes. Well, I can tell you, and, and you know this, and I'm surprised you didn't bring it up. Uh, neutral sites typically are in non-basketball venues, and that's the whole sight lines, right? Where what's behind anyone that's, you know, I used to shoot right after college for a couple of years. I shot like a, probably more basketball than a lot of college basketball players. <laughs> Not near as good, but I was there a lot. And um, it was just so weird. I, you know, usually play at the same place and you go to some other place, especially if you actually get into a gym that's actually an arena or something. The, they have those clear backboards and there's, there's no, you know, depth perception. Oh my gosh, was that tough? Now, obviously, I wasn't a, a college level shooter. I mean, close, but not a college level shooter. But we got a shooter. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but that's good. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of these venues that don't have basketball consistently haven't thought about the backdrops. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. And Arch Madness, the Missouri Valley, it was held one of those big arenas, and the book on that was always play every game under. And also, RJ, a lot harder the depth perception when there's only like fifteen hundred people in the stands for like the early games. Mm. Seeing it one guy here, one gal here, it's just not as easy as when the all the seats are taken up. And also unders tend to happen more when the effort level's there. So if two teams if both teams need it, it's almost gonna be like an NFL playoff game, which tends to be lower scoring. Yes. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, we've got more. Oh, last thing I'm gonna say about your point, Brad is I think we should define bubble teams that are part of the bubble discussion versus bubble teams that might not be part of the discussion. And maybe part of the discussion isn't the right way to say it, but front and center on the discussion. So if like a Mike and Mike is topping, or I guess there's no more Mike and Mike, if a, what's it called, a Mike and Wingo now, or Golik and Wingo, but that show is if that show, as an example, was talking bubble teams and had Lenardi on, Who's going to be the first, second, third, fourth team on the list? That's who, because it, it's the bigger name teams, whatever. Yep. The eighth, ninth, tenth team on the list is still a bubble team because in their mind, because it really, if somehow you could hypnotize a team that wasn't a bubble team to think they were a bubble team, they would play better. And right? I think because they would be motivated. If, if somehow you said, oh, I'm going to give you guys a million bucks if you win the game, and ah, they got to win, and then I, oh, just kidding. Well, they would still have played really hard in that game, right? So I think that that idea that, yeah, motivation, the bubble-ness probably helps net-net, though you're right, nerves play a little bit of a role. But you're saying the market probably over-accounts for it. But I think the market only over-accounts for those bubble teams when the bubble teams are, are front and center in the conversation. I totally agree with that. All right, next up, Mr. Ashler. Well, here's two bubble teams that uh, maybe a month ago they were in, and, and since that time they've been playing themselves out, uh, and I expect that tend to continue. Uh, Utah being one of them, they're in the next four out right now. They just had a brutal loss at home to SoCal, uh, and they're in the Pac-12, which is a down conference. So I would expect that trend to continue, uh, and they will be out. Uh, and then we look at UCLA, who's obviously a very public team, uh, they're in the first four out right now, but they're similar to Utah. They're in the sixth best conference. They crashed and burned after they beat Arizona, and everybody was on them. And and uh, they've lost three of the last five, and their wins uh, haven't been very impressive. Uh, they got a big game at SoCal Saturday, uh, probably for a spot in Dayton. Uh, and I would give the nod to SoCal because Utah is playing themselves out. Now, 
let's flip the coin. You've got three teams that have been trending upwards and you expect that upwards trend to continue. On the other side of that, I've got, I've got three teams playing themselves in uh, that, that people might not be giving too much of a look to. And the first one is Louisville. You know, they had their drama early in the season. Everybody knows about that. Now they're 63rd in the Pomeroy rankings. If they can beat Virginia at home uh, Thursday night, then, then they're going to be in. And one of the things I think that gets them in is just the Louisville draw itself. People want to see Louisville. Uh, and Dayton certainly wants to see Louisville. Uh, and then we've got Nebraska sitting at 79th in the Pomeroy rankings, which still surprises me. Uh, in a lot of their brackets, they're on the outside looking in. They finished the Big Ten 10 and 2, uh, and they got a bye in the first round of the, of the conference tournament. Uh, and I expect them to come out firing. Uh, they, they need to win. And then there's Washington is a very under the radar team. Uh, they're, they're not in anybody's bracket, but they did beat Kansas earlier in the season. They got two home games left, both winnable, winnable against Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, if they can get one and maybe win a Pac-12 game, you know, who's to keep them out? Uh, there's a lot less quality teams that probably might get in, but, you know, they've beaten USC, they beat Arizona. So uh, they're a team I expect uh, perhaps some good things out of next week. We're back at Dave Vessler. Okay, Brad, biggest agreement, biggest disagreement. Uh, biggest agreement for me is I'm going to go on Utah, a team that I actually had as a premium pick over the weekend against USC. I thought it was a home run spot for Utah. If there was any game they were going to get up for, it had been that spot playing a distracted USC team back-to-back road in elevation, and they just flat-out laid an egg, lost by 16 at home. So I agree with the, the Utah pick. So Utah, thumbs down from Esler, thumbs down from Brad Powers. Thumbs down from Fezzik. I going back to that Utah. It was not only a home run situation, but Southern Cal is playing in altitude and they're up double digits at halftime. This is like a wise guy second half betting trend. Oh, Utah in altitude is going to make this a game. We see this every single time, except for in this game. I lost money. I bet Utah second half. That is the last money I waste on these guys. In a home run spot in altitude, they couldn't get it done. How are they going to get it done on a neutral? What percentage of the time? Fezzik, do you refer to yourself as Fezzik and what percentage as me? Never really tracked it. So it's pretty common, the whole third person. Like, I you're like, Shaq's, Shaq's hungry. Un- like, George is angry. Remember on Seinfeld? No. And I watched I it. am Elma J. Oh, and I, watched I own a time. mansion and a yacht. Are you trying to talk over yeah, you his drop? Watch oh. this. Watch this. Fez's mic off. Say something. We we can't hear you. I love Costanza. I am Elma J. Foot, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. The girl wanted to go come up. You realize no one's hearing you right now. He didn't understand coming up. See this? See this bar? See this bar over here? See when I talk, it goes up. You say something. Coffee. It doesn't need coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Say please. I'll let you back. Please. No one can hear you say it, but okay. I didn't know that. (laughs) Can you believe he was talking over Elma J. Fudd? Yeah. All right, so you agree with Utah. Who do you disagree with? Louisville. I, I think just one game sample size, I get it that the, they had a really good effort against Virginia Tech, but here's a team that's also been in a couple home run spots against the likes of Duke and North Carolina, and Louisville's laid an egg. And plus, I actually disagree with Dave. I'm not so sure that the NCAA committee for this year's Louisville team wants them in the tournament. So here's a rare case where uh, normally, hey, let's get a great seed for Louisville. Great fan base, great tradition. This year, with all the toxic uh, and 
toxic environment there, I think they're going to leave them out. Oh, I tell you. I tell you. I tell you. This is an extension, Brad Powers, of the Michigan State concept, right? We've believed that they, in that early preview, gave Michigan State a bad rank rating, ranking because, hey, this is a team every game they win. This bad story is front and center in the media. Well, Louisville's got some bad stories, right? So it seems like in general, any anywhere where there's discretion, follow the money, is going to go against Louisville. Totally agree. Good. So well, it was your concept. Good. <laughs> but Dave does bring up a great point that the Louisville draw to Dayton will sell a whole lot of tickets. The Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. But. Hmm. Well, I'll be I honest you, with you. Okay. Louisville at home this year. I mean, well, you, let me ask you a question. I'm yeah. sorry. Will those games sell out? Probably it's close to a sellout. They usually sell out no matter who. So there. that's the question, yeah. right? Right. The, is there any incremental gain? Maybe just to the scalpers. And well. <laughs> and I've seen specific Louisville home games pictures on Twitter this year of sparse crowds. So if they're not going to travel and watch them play a home game, they're not going to travel, what, the, the hour, hour and a half drive to Dayton. And we will be talking investigation here at the end and coming up. The biggest game on Saturday, NC Duke, three. <laughs> we, I was down with, what was that dude's name? I was never a fan during this year. Booker T? Booker that T? The wrestler? Yeah. He was going five, 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 yeah. five. Well, we got three, three, three best bets <laughs> coming up. That'd be irritating if someone just did that all the time. It's he like, did. It's like I have two, two egg omelets this morning. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> three, three, three burritos. All right. But before that, we're going to take a little siesta, not a siesta, a little scenic route. You're listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Boy, that used to irritate me. When I was a kid, you know, there's that time where you're, you know, when you're five or six or seven and you're in the car, it's like you can't even comprehend the idea that you're not there. It's like you're always with your parents. But then you get to be that age, you know, nine, 10, 11. I mean, maybe I was precocious and you're like, you don't want to be in that car with your parents. And my dad, we'd be driving home and I'd be, we'd be at the mall and I'd be like, I can't wait to get home. Can't wait to get home. And then he'd be like, let's take the scenic route. So it'd be like a 25 minute drive that would become a 35 minute drive. So we could go see some trees or something. I mean, I don't want to say I was traumatized, (laughs) but maybe, but let's take the scenic route and do a little NBA perusing Fez, you've got your power ratings up now the se- how many, how long has the season been going on so october 15th november 15th one december three four so four that can't be it's been four and a half months the listeners know <laughs> that they can count on me to be all in in the national football league all right so you're saying it's actually the fact that this is your first nba ratings 
we should all be grateful. Second. Oh, okay. <laughs> First update. First update from the February 20th initial oh, rating. Okay. So it was only four months in a week before the first ratings came out. Clearly, I need to. But I tell you this, all joking aside, you know he's not putting them out without thinking about it because you wouldn't be shamed like this. And <laughs> you just throw them out there so yeah. we can trust them. Go over to pregame.com. I'd be very interested if anyone, including Brad, to uh, spot a mistake, I probably have one team that's off versus my ratings. Well, you know, that's why you are. I mean, listen, we could say Elmer J. Fudd, but we also can say. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the f-ing world. Who's your underrated team? And Brad's laughing because he's got 360 college basketball <laughs> teams. He's like, 30 teams? This is so easy. Uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is underrated, and here's why. This is the time of year that all the bad NBA teams have questionable motivations to win, and the natural reaction is, I'm not betting on any of these bad teams anymore. But Brooklyn does not have a number one draft pick. They have no incentive to tank, if you will. In fact, they have a positive incentive to win to avoid the PR nightmare of getting a top draft pick that someone else is going to get. Also, people don't really follow Brooklyn. Right now, one of their... Pretty important glue guys, small forward, Hollis Jefferson. He's 16 points a game, eight rebounds, plays pretty good defense. He's worth quite a bit considering Okafor, the guy that plays instead of him, is terrible and now is riding the pines. He just came back from an injury. So Brooklyn is at their best that they've been in the past month and a half. Okay, let me play skeptic because I'm always skeptical in the sports that I'm not an expert at hearing about something that is somehow actionable. And what is actionable means? It means the marketplace hasn't accounted for it. Something that's actionable, quote unquote, when it seems like if it was the NFL, it would be obvious to me because I do handicap deeply the NFL. So who doesn't know Brooklyn doesn't have their pick? And thus this idea that, you know, oh, maybe Brooklyn's tanking. (laughs) And uh, I'll bet against them. Like, who's doing that? Well, one of our competitors put out a podcast. We don't, three have, days we don't ago. have competitors. That's right. And they listed Brooklyn. They're playing, let's be honest, they're playing a different game. They, they Maybe so, but they put out Brooklyn as one of their tanking teams. So someone out there game didn't get them change. up. Game the same. Just got more fierce. It's more fierce, Faz. So I was ignoring you. What'd you say? There are many so you're people. saying there were some idiots out there, but that doesn't mean those idiots are probably betting $22 a game. So my real question is, who that's moving the market is going to be fooled by thinking Brooklyn is tanking? They're not going to be fooled, but they're not following Brooklyn well enough. So really enough. what you're saying, your whole first point was invalid. I don't think it's completely invalid. Well, explain the validity. I think some people just want to bet against the bad teams, our dig when they see them losing. They're like, I, I agree can't with that. bet the bad I, teams. I agree with that. See, there you go. We keep pushing. We get something is what I'm hearing you say is just bad teams in general. People don't want to bet. And people go ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. (laughs) People are following the personnel of the Golden State Warriors. They're not following the personnel of the Brooklyn Nets. See, I was going to say you were right. Now you're just coming at it from a whole different angle. So let's ignore we don't add it, but if we did, we'd edit that out. So everyone try to forget what he just said. Okay. Now, <laughs> when, when, when you hear the bell ring, forget what he said. Okay. Oh, all right. I think what I, you were, wanted to say and what you said earlier was if a team is bad, just in general, 
It's the old Jimmy Vaccaro line. Professionals bet numbers. Recreational bettors bet teams. Who wants to bet Brooklyn? And in general, that's why in the NFL and all that, the value's on the bad teams. You're saying there's two reasons to bet against the bad NBA teams this year. One is that phenomenon that Brooklyn has. The other is the tanking. Now, you're saying that Brooklyn doesn't have the tanking going against them. Thus, you're playing on that team because they're bad. Right? Brooklyn's bad, so people aren't betting him. And now you're saying there's a second reason you gave with the lineup and different things that they're a little bit better than maybe their season-long stats. Now, when you go to the tanking teams, which is our next topic, now it feels like there's things tugging you in different directions. Because on one hand, that same phenomenon, people don't want to bet bad teams. They don't want to bet the Nets, but they also don't want to bet these tanking teams. So in general, that concept says play on these tanking teams. But what you're going to say is, oh, no, the tanking factor trumps that. Yeah, people don't want to bet bad teams, but they're not accounting properly for just how much of a factor tanking is. Make that case. Exactly correct. So what's happening is the marketplace, the math geeks are setting these lines on these tanking teams based upon their statistics year to date. And they're not adjusting enough for the fact that there's eight teams right now that have motivation not to win. Mark Cuban came out, actually said, hey, I told my guys it's in our best interest not to win. And if he's publicly saying it, you know all these teams are privately looking at it. And you know what they do, RJ? They call it player development. So the Chicago Bulls start a couple stiffs that have no business being in their starting lineup because they want to tank, but they don't want to tell their players don't try. That's how they effectively tank. We saw that when Chicago played Brooklyn the other night, the odds makers opened the game Brooklyn minus three, closed minus five, Brooklyn killed them. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Can I list the eight tanking teams that I show that I expect are actively trying not to win? Yes, but first, how did this you um, develop this list? I went ahead and took a look at all the teams that were clearly out of contention for any kind of playoff bid, but still have their number one draft pick. It's that simple. It's that simple. So the Lakers, they don't get a number one draft pick, so they get removed from this list, as does Brooklyn. Go. All right. In the East... The Knicks, New York, Chicago, the Bulls, Orlando, and Atlanta. Going to the West, Dallas, Memphis, Sacramento, and Phoenix. And is there any debate about any of those teams possibly being in the playoff hunt? No debate whatsoever. No chance. So to me, that's very logical, right? Because there's no subjectivity about if they're in the playoff hunt, and obviously it's objective if they have the pick or not. And you've got some numbers about these teams. Yes. So small sample. So take it with a grain of salt. But these teams, since the all-star break, that would be the logical time you'd start to look towards this tanking. Remember all these teams. And you were talking about this before the second half started. Right. Uh, Two and 21 straight up eight and 15 against the spread. So eight and 15 doesn't sound that significant, but I think what the key is the two and 21. And oftentimes what we're seeing when the game is in crunch time and it's close in the fourth quarter, you're seeing a beyond strange lineups being utilized by some of these teams to evaluate some of that younger talent, maybe not trying to win the game to see how they do. Now, wait a minute now, wait a minute. So this is interesting because you're making a pretty strong accusation right here. Say it. They're, they don't want to win. And remember, so I talked about this at length on our straight out of Vegas show. I talked about this at length on the new podcast, Don't Bet On It. Probably worth talking about 
that podcast quickly right now. Every Friday morning it comes out, Crack of Dawn. Don't bet on it. Me and Steve Cofield. Now, Steve actually co-hosts our Fox National Show. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. And that's Pacific time on Fox National 330 stations, Sirius Channel 83, iHeartRadio app, etc. Okay, we've talked about it there and on Don't Bet On It, which is the idea of, and Mark Cuban was the driver of this, what is tanking? Define tanking. And the way I defined it was purposely losing. And to me, that's not only a problem, it's borderline criminal because there's money. This is, I mean, imagine a stock, and I'm not saying this is necessarily 100% analogous, but maybe it is, is imagine a stock and someone's purposely trying to, the CEO is trying to lose money. Well, he has a fiduciary responsibility. Now, people might say Vegas is scumball. Well, no, this is a legal regulated betting market. The government collects taxes from it. This is a market. And here in Vegas, in Nevada, and if people, if the, if the mandate is try to win, which it is in every league, if you're purposely trying to lose, I think that you have big problems. Obviously, there's PR and all that, but I think beyond that. Now, I think most of what everyone's talking about is not tanking. What we're talking about is trading value today for value tomorrow. So the classic example is, hey, you can have my fourth round pick this year. I get your third round pick next year. Now, the Steelers and the Browns a couple years ago made that exact trade. So it's old kind of finance 101 at Ohio State. Time value of money is the fourth this year more valuable than the third next year. What each team decides. Pittsburgh was looking to win now. Browns were looking ahead perpetually. <laughs> but they were looking ahead, right? Okay. Another way is this guy could play, but it's going to, you know, wear and tear on his knees. And it's not just the normal wear and tear, but he's, his ankles banged up. So now we all know how legs are. If one leg's hurt, the other one tends to get hurt because you're compensating. So Kevin McHale style, they could play and limp the rest of their life or maybe not. But or they can say, hey, take a month off instead of the two weeks because we've got you signed five years. And, yeah, it's going to hurt our chance to win those games in the third and fourth week that you maybe could play. But we're going to have a better chance to win games in the future. I've got no problems with that. What I got a problem with is whoever you put on the floor the night that you're playing and whoever is coaching should be maximizing their effort to win that game. And you're saying, not that you have proof, there's no mind-reading machine that Fezzik has. Even You can call yourself third person or whatever. You don't have a mind-reading machine. But do you genuinely believe that, because what you're saying is they play a certain way, but then if they're actually in the game, I see them get even worse when it comes to not exactly, not necessarily how they're playing, but because the players are always going to try hard, you would think. But the coach, in a way, the word is sabotage. You're saying the coach is sabotaging their chances. Exactly. It would be analogous to a baseball team, RJ. 
you're down a run. You got the bases loaded and two and outs. Out. Sabotage. Sabotage. Again, instead of putting in your best pinch hitter, you decide, oh, let me go ahead and evaluate this left-handed pinch hitter to see if he can hit a lefty, even though you know he's never been able to do so. We saw the Dallas Mavericks against the Lakers in a game coming down the wire. When was this? So we're taping. A week ago. Taping Tuesday, Wednesday release for the Dream Preview during basketball season. It was a week ago today. Uh, or so, in that range. Go in ahead. Range. They pulled out all their starters, pulled out Dirk, pulled out Wes Matthews, and they put in their backups. At what point? In the final five minutes. And what was the score? Game was close. Could have gone either way. So in the game that, or at the point of the game that had the highest impact, where a one a win or a loss is at stake, that's when they had their lesser players in. Exactly. Was there any discussion about that after the game on Twitter? I mean, like, are people perceiving this? Yeah, people saw it. They asked, and and Dallas responded. Their coaching staff. We want to be able to evaluate our younger talent and how they do in high pressure situations. Hmm. Hmm. I'm skeptical of that answer. Not your point. Now, here's what this doesn't feel like. You're going to say yes, but maybe. Do we think about playing against them on the money line? Because it seems like there's going to be, like if you think of a normal distribution of points, usually you would think, okay, I feel like this team's overrated because they're tanking and people aren't realizing it, so I'm going to look to play against them. But it seems like where the where they're overrated is in close games. That In regular games, perhaps they're not overrated. Exactly. You want to fade them when the point spread is pick them or close to pick them uh, and then play the money can, line. But you can get at that in those other games by the money line. You can, yes. And you, what happens is you see some curious results where some teams I'd consider to be tanking. Last night, New York Knicks, Memphis Grizzlies get annihilated, both of them. And then they play brilliant fourth quarters. And Memphis actually comes back and covers. New York almost covers the uh, against Golden State. And all of a sudden, that amazing effort is there when it's clear they no longer can win the game. What do you think of that, Brian? Oh, makes a lot of sense. I do think Dallas uh, aren't... You know what I don't get? I'm sorry to interrupt. What is ever going to shock anybody? Like, Cofield, and we'll be talking about this on in this Friday's Don't Bet On It, on the weekend Fox show, he was like, any team that is that wins in college basketball, I think it's cheating because you can't win without cheating. I mean, literally, you know, he was, and then I really pressed him on, he, he's like, well, 99%. So, per, you know, 99 or 100, he's saying, if you win, you're a cheater. And it's like, wow, if that's the case, and I'm not sure it is, but if someone smart like him that's immersed in the media believes that, then where are we? It's like, it's like we're so cynical that, and no one was all that. I was like flabbergasted, but no one else was surprised. And now you're saying literally they're doing something, the Mavs, you perceived in your opinion, doing something borderline illegal. Well, Mark Cuban. No one seems impressed. Mark Cuban, no, Mark Cuban said it. No, 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 no. Wrong, wrong, wrong. We played the quote. You, did you hear the quote? Yeah. Did you hear it? Yeah. He said tanking. What does tanking mean? <laughs> okay. Fair. Right? That's the point. He could be saying, hey, you know, we're not playing that guy that's half injured. We didn't sign this free agent because, yeah, he would have helped us this year. Here's another example. He would have helped us this year, but it would have had to be a five-year deal, and we thought he was overpriced by 20%. So, yeah, we would have been better with him this year, but we got that money now to use next year to sign someone better. Is that tanking? No. That's 
now, you know, uh, exchanging now, sacrificing now for later. What you're talking about, there's no benefit to losing that game other than the draft, the higher chance at a better draft choice. And thus, that is what I would call wrong. And you just said it. And I don't, I don't see any other way it could have been the case that they would make that decision. Well, the good news is this is their last opportunity, RJ, because the rules are being changed. If you wind up with a number one, um, uh, you're the worst record in the league. Instead of a 25% chance to get the number one pick, it's only going to be 14% next year. And the draft this year is very much front loaded. There's like six or seven really good players. Who so, knows who's really good? Fair enough. According to the the experts, that I mean, right. the Sixers traded, you know, traded a, a number one to jump up two spots to take, you know, a guy. If they redrafted today, where would he go? The- Bolts? <laughs> and would he go in the first round? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Way, way down. But Tankapalooza, this is the, the apex of Tankapalooza. Isn't it funny? I'm trying to like have us as a society look at ourselves, and Fez just shrugs. It's like, of course, of course there's all this corruption. <laughs> and, and, and and somehow it doesn't bother him. You need that clip from The Godfather where they talk about this. You don't think senators would actually ever have anybody <laughs> like killed, would you? <laughs> Who's being naive now, Kay? Okay. So... What is? Let's get very actionable. How are you hand? Are, are you? You're not playing against these teams every game, are you? No, I'm going to look to. I like your idea of playing the money line, betting against them. I like the idea of betting against them when the line is close to pick them. So that's when they're home, and they're playing a team that's not very good that isn't tanking. So the line's close to pick them. But I also like the idea of betting against them after a win. Because, think about it, you win the game, you think, oh, I'm going to get a great pat on the back, the head coach and everyone else. No. Little uh, dinner meeting afterwards. Well, that's nice that we got that win in front of our crowd, but um, that puts us a game ahead of these other four teams. Plus, whatever kind of shame they feel or scrutiny they feel losing a bunch, if you win one, you probably feel like you've got, it's like a guy that's late for work a lot. He shows up 20 minutes (laughs) early one day. He's going to be late the next two days. Yeah, Yeah, so Dallas actually won a game just yesterday, tomorrow they play against Indiana. They're hosting Indiana. They're four-point underdog. I think they're going to get killed. Now here's a new concept. We're taping Tuesday. It's released on Wednesday. <laughs> so when you say tomorrow... Wednesday. The game's Wednesday. <laughs> I like Dallas to lose to Indiana. You know, Brad, it just dawned on me. I just had a vision of, of Fez as an old man. It's not going to be fun. Because here's the thing. I'll keep him around probably, but here's the thing. Is... When someone's so smart, and Fez is a boy, I mean, I don't throw, Fez is unequivocally brilliant. I think in very niche areas, he's a genius, and I rarely throw the word genius around. But when you are that smart, and then you start to fall off, it, 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 it those people get really frustrated. <laughs> and I think Fez, when you were kind of, what, what do they call, got doddering, doddering, doddering. Like when you're kind of like, where'd I put my keys? You're going to be a tough dude to it's be, be around. like Charles Nelson Riley on match game <laughs> when he's 70. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that guy? <laughs> That's Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bell, Brad Powers. Okay. I think we've got the NBA covered. All joking aside though, that tanking stuff, very sharp, very sharp stuff. Okay. Wow, we're hitting the home stretch and a lot of action. Wow, a lot of action. A lot of action. Big game Saturday, NC Duke. Brad, give me a preview. 
Yeah, and not only in everyone's opinion, pretty much the best rivalry in college basketball, but also the closest. Before you see ESPN and all the networks put out this stat, you're going to hear it here first. Last, but hold on, this is a stat ESPN put out the last time they fly it. Well, yeah, they do, but I mean, <laughs> I updated it. How about I updated it? <laughs> I added one. Yeah, I added one. <laughs> Actually, no, I had it. I don't. Uh, I, you I beat ESPN to the punch. I did, but I didn't have the 100 games. I wasn't thinking 100 games. I was thinking 96 games for some reason, and people called me out on Twitter. But anyways, last 101 meetings, North Carolina leads 51 to 50. Cumulative scoring in there. North Carolina's outscored Duke by two points in 101 games. First meeting, like usual, goes down on the wire. Here's where I think there's value in this particular game between North Carolina and Duke. It's the markets have not been able to catch up with Duke's recent change to a zone defense. Last five games for Duke, they've gone under the total by 29 points per game. This is a team that was struggling, really struggling on the defensive end, not even a top 50 defense. Last five games, they've had a top two defense. If you've just been tracking teams, usually Duke North Carolina games are go over the total. They're high scoring. They're fast paced. I'm going to go under in this one. Line should be right around 158, 160 under the total Duke, North Carolina. I love when there's reasons for, you know, such a shortfall in points. I mean, is this one the market just, I mean, has the betting been on under, under, under? It's just the odds makers are so off. They're not bringing it down enough. There's still value. Yeah. After the first game or two where it really went under, we see like, for example, this line will open up 160. We've seen lines go get killed on Duke last three games, like down to like five, six points. So it'd be 155, 154. And they still go over by 20 plus points. I know he came back for the last Bot Tech game, but how much of this has been their superstar who plays no defense who's been out of the lineup? Well, I mean, he came back actually the last two games. They gave up 50, uh, 44 points to Syracuse. Marvin Bagley's his name, the, the all-star player. And they gave up, what, 64 points against a pretty high-powered Virginia Tech offense. We've seen the defense even continue to be great, even with him back in the lineup. So, is this an example? We always recommend bet early as you can. Is this one that bet as early as you can? Because these lines come out based on what, what books you have, but most places have something up Friday for Saturday's games. I would bet this one on Friday evening. Don't wait until game day on Saturday night. It will drop, in my opinion, five points. Great stuff, man. Great, great stuff. Now, wow, we still got a lot of stuff, but now it is best bet time. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Okay, Mr. Powers, go. We're going Wednesday action game number seven, four, five. We're going to take Syracuse, a bubble team, in a pick spot. What, why am I not afraid to take Syracuse in a bubble team where I just said, yeah, I'm a little leery taking bubble teams just about 20 minutes ago. Syracuse is used to playing beyond the bubble. They've been on the bubble last each of the last four years. They've gotten into the tournament, made a Final Four when they've been on a bubble. They've not gotten in. But in this particular game against Boston College, Boston College really had trouble with Syracuse's length. Syracuse dominated the paint 30-14 to 14 in the first meeting. Syracuse got the much significant defensive edge. Top 10 defense against the Boston College defense that's not even in the top 120 in the country. So two pick teams, a Syracuse team that really needs it. A Syracuse team that really hasn't played that bad the last two games. Yeah, they've lost against Duke and North Carolina. Both games have been right near the number. In a pick spot, must win for Syracuse against a team they're really overmatched with. Give me the orange in a pick Any thoughts, Fred? Logical to me. <laughs> okay. We've got a bonus best bet from Brad at the end of the best bets. He's going to give you a long shot 
future pick. Next up, though, Dave Esler's best bet. Uh, my free pick to click this week is the Georgia Bulldogs. So we're going back in the SEC. They're at home Wednesday night to Texas A&M. Uh, Georgia is not out of contention to do something in the postseason. Bet online open at minus one. I had it a pick. Uh, with all the teams that are playing themselves out, uh, Georgia at 71 could sneak in. They had uh, pre-conference wins over St. Mary's and Marquette, which is worth a lot more today than it was then. Uh, in the SEC, they beat Alabama and Tennessee, which is which is a check for the good. They beat Florida twice, which is a check to the good. You know, the Aggies come in having lost three out of four. Uh, they're 63% free throw shooting team in the SEC, which is always tough for me to get behind. They've got the 10th ranked defense in the SEC. They lost Dwayne Wilson, their point guard, uh, which means they're going to substitute P.J. Stark, who's A, a freshman, B, hasn't been playing a lot of minutes. Uh, and the Aggies don't need the win. They're currently in as a seven seed. I'm indifferent on that game because uh, here's Texas A&M, a, a team that also really needs the game kind of firmly on the bubble. Texas A&M, I think, for the most part, underrated in the marketplace. Texas A&M at one point in early January was missing three starters and lost like five straight games. Since then, Texas A&M, more often than not, has been a play-on team for me, indifferent on the game. I love, you know, that's the thing. I always say this, but it's worth saying again, is the old Saturday morning scam shows, they always agreed with each other. And to me, when you guys hear Brad disagree or with whomever, it's a sign. Listen, we want the truth because it's hard to win. And if one guy likes one side, one guy likes the other, it doesn't mean one of them's not right, but man, you want to hear that honest opinion because if you're not getting the honest opinion, it's especially hard to win. Faz, your best bet. We're going to go to Saturday, the marquee game, Duke, North Carolina. And unlike Brad's recommendation to play the game under, I think you can wait till game time to play the first half to go over. Everyone's noticing the Duke games are going. All right, so wait a second now. <laughs> this is interesting. So when we did our prep, I got a little bit confused. So this was your look ahead preview for Saturday. Yep. And Fez, you're saying your best bets on this game and you're going the other way on the first half. Okay. Now, huh? So the quite well, all right. So first we don't often get to use crossfire music when we're in, cause there's not as many disagreements cause we're not looking at all the same games like we do in football. So let's put a little of that on. All right. Make your point. Duke has certainly been playing lower scoring games, especially two other games were against the Virginia Tech. I think a big part of that, though, is not only Duke utilizing the zone, but teams know they can't compete with Duke without slowing it down. So that's part of it. But Roy Williams for North Carolina has been playing very fast, and he actually said, you know, we experimented with a 15-second clock back in the fall, and we kind of got rid of it, but I'd like to play even... So what does that mean, experiment with a 15-second clock? You've got to shoot within 15 seconds. Like in practice. In practice. And he said, you know, we got away from that, because that was a little bit too extreme, but I want to play faster. Whenever North Carolina plays Duke, they always play up-tempo games, and typically the up-tempo is in the first half. But... My, from my recollection, that's certainly what happened. The first time these two teams played, they scored about 90 points in the first half. Yet the game, RJ, still went under. The game's going to be in Cameron. Coach K is the king if he can get the lead. Duke's going to be laying five and a half. He always sits on a lead and runs clock in the second half. That's happened in a lot of these Duke games where Duke's been up double digits. We could certainly see the game go under. I still think we're going to go over what I expect to be 76 for the first half. I don't disagree. And we would have both. So hold on a second. You can't like the over in the first well, half I don't and the like under in the it. game. Well, you know, I don't like it, but I would lean with the, the first half over. We we 
would have won. Well, then you, you like it if you lean that way. Well, here's the thing. We both would have won our bets on the first game. By, double, by, double, by digits. double digits. Hold on, yeah. though, Fez. If you, if I tell you, I guarantee you this first half is going over, do you in any circumstance bet the under? Not until the second half. So... I get if you have to have a lean on the game, you're saying, okay, I think the second half is going to go way under. I think the first half is going to go over. But I like the second half under more than the first half over. So you put it in the dryer and come out. You have a lean, lean, small, tiny little lean towards the under. But it seemed like you loved the under in the game. How can you like or how can you even lean towards the over in the first half and love the under in the game. I, did I say did I we'll have to rewind the tape. Did I say love? He actually Oh my it gosh, my you were like bet. you were Well, you well, asked me to handicap the let, game let me and say, I was giving but, you a strong let me, well, sorry but my you don't fake, so Listen, good. I've had a lot of lukewarm picks from you. <laughs> that was you passionate about that pick. Well, RJ, remember what he said. He said bet it on the overnight because what's been happening with all these new no, totals? Hold on. You just said bet it. So if he's saying bet it on the overnight, that means he really likes it. Well, if you know it's going to drop three and a half points in every two no, no, total. Stop, 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 stop. You bet games you like. That's it. Any This this fantasy freaking world, uh, uh, I'm betting to get ahead of the steam move. That is such a small percentage of what anyone's doing if they're not moving the market themselves or anyone that wins, that it just obscures the conversation. There's a new freaking rule here. There's no talking about betting to get ahead of moves. If you like the game, you bet it. If you don't like the game, and keep that other crap to yourself because that crap, let, let's be candid. How much money do you make in it? You, you do have not necessarily a yacht though there's rumors you've got a big old house you drive a mercedes you do great at what you do how much what percentage of your money you make in a year is from getting ahead of a line move than buying it back getting ahead of the move maybe one third no but getting ahead of the move of a game you're gonna bet anyway no just getting ahead of the move i've got a college basketball totals expert the nick the the limits are five hundred dollars on the overnights he kills it but the next morning the lines move three points no value then so what, I don't understand what you're saying. You bet that you like the game in that case. Are you betting it back? I like no. I like the overnight because the line's off by three. So you points. bet the game in that case. The this isn't be- this isn't complicated. Anytime there's a bet being offered, you either like that bet or you don't. When you bet those overnights, you like the bet. Yes. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about is. People talking about, well, if you knew the, know the line's going to drop three points, you can bet it, and then you can bet the other side, and blah, blah. What percentage of your income, you know, let's call that middling, right? You're, you're trying to, not middling, bet, making an initial bet with an intention of buying it back. 8%. All right. Let's just forget that 8%. Okay. All right? Because it's confusing, and I think it's bullshit. I'll be candid. For 99% of people, because and most people don't have 29 outs. And, and paying people to be watching their screen, you know, to, hey, I'm going to go eat lunch if this line goes to f- or have bots in there like some people do betting. Fair it, enough. The right side on this game, the day of the game is to play the first half over right before the I know this that's what you think, up. but we're doubling back to Brad who said, I, you know, I was almost ready to bet that under. And now you're trying to make the case you weren't recommending it? No, I, yeah, I'm betting the I will bet. The so under. you're betting it. Yes, I am betting it. So how can you like the over in the first half? I could see his point, I guess. Let's put it that way. So, that cause, di- so, so be honest. Yeah. That causes you to reevaluate the whole pig. It does a little well, bit. Well, then why not say that? Instead I, of acting like both are right. Both can't be right. All right. Fair enough. Now, but here's the beauty yeah. at the end of this. You can bet both, right? You can bet the over in the first half. And now 
I'm not betting college basketball like you guys are, all the derivatives. Can you bet second half? No, there's halftime bets and second half bets. Second half bets in, in football, you can bet ahead of time, right? Can you bet second half in college basketball ahead of time? No, not until the halftime. Okay, it seems like we have an optimal approach here, right? If you like, and, and the logic of what you're saying makes sense, Fez, is because what I heard Brad say was there's a reason people are slowing it down against Duke, but North Carolina isn't, that's not applicable to them. They're not afraid to run with Duke, right? They want to run with everyone. So the, the algorithm guys are focused on that. And the blended numbers are saying, you know, what your first thought was, Brad. Now, listen, I love that. I, there's nothing I loved more with the videos is when people change and you guys do the videos and you can get those at YouTube. Just search for pregame TV um, uh, on YouTube or up, up at pregame.com is if someone can convince another person to change their mind, it's like, wow, that's the point of all this. Because if you guys are coming out of this, Brad and Fez, with the exact same opinions you came in with, what's the point? Well, obviously you're sharing some info, but isn't it better to believe you're really listening to the other guy? And this yep. is a great example of collective IQ. But I think we can arrive at this amazing, you know, first half over. And if you're watching the game and you bet half times, it seems like, especially if that first half is higher scoring, it feels like. And that's an interesting question because I don't bet a lot of half times. Let's say a favorite is, you know, football, let's use as an example, is favored by a touchdown. If they're losing by seven and a half time, one way to think about it might be, oh, that underdog's been proven to be better. So you would think the second half line is going to account for that we have a half of football showing the underdog's better than we thought. But really, there's a real sense of of that, no, it's going to kind of regress back to what we expected, right? Exactly. You would expect that instead of a three and a half point second half line, you're going to see that favorite that's down seven. They're going to be laying five and a half in the second half. Which is counterintuitive in a way, but obviously history says it's right. So now my question is, if a game that has a total, I'm just going to make it a round number to keep it simple, 200. If it has 120 points in the first half... Do they do the same thing and expect it to be low scoring in the second half? Or do they say the first half told us something about this game and or and do they expect higher scoring in the second half? They say the first half does tell us something about mm. the game and they usually make it a point to a point and a half higher than what they would have done in the second half total versus what they would have dealt had it been on pace. So it seems like this could give us even extra value in the second half if Fez is right. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we saw in the first meeting. 94 points in the first half slow tempo down in the second half with every possession matter 66 points and why exactly i know you said it but i want to draw it home why what is it about the first half that makes it more is it only that you're avoiding duke with the likely lead slowing it down duke is and this is giving away the store a little bit but duke loves to run and gun in the first half coach k loves to slow it down in the second half especially with the lead but just in general Duke games are not eight and a half points higher scoring in the second half versus the first half like the average team is. Great stuff. And I'm learning something, guys. I and and uh and I enjoy that too. Fez, great stuff, Brad, great stuff. You know something? Let's skip. You know what I'm gonna do? Because I've got a majority of the concept. We talked this through about the investigations before the show, and I've got all the good notes on it. So I'm gonna push that conversation 
till the don't bet on it. So I'll have that with these guys' feedback um, with Cofield Friday AM release. And remember, guys, if you're not subscribed to the pod, you're going to miss some, and you're certainly not going to get them immediately. And especially with this Wednesday, baby, is you know mostly the free picks, and, and Fez is yours is Saturday. Most of them are on uh, Wednesday, and we really do want to, uh, you know, you don't want to miss those, I guess. So subscribe, just go to your favorite player and search for RJ Bell. And it's just the one feed, the dream preview feed. And you also get the Friday don't bet on it, which I'll talk about how I think the market is valuing or not valuing the investigations in college basketball and how you can make some money from that. And really the whole don't bet on a concept is that there's hot takes out there in the media, but the cold cash trumps or beats the hot takes. All right, Oscar talk quick, but this baby is potent. We went back 10 years. Yeah, we have an Oscar database. It's true. We went back 10 years and it just struck me because I've done a you know a good many Oscar um, media hits over the years, so I've taken it you know fairly seriously. And actually, this week I'm on with Adam Carolla on the Wednesday shows. So the same day this is available on Podcast One, Adam Carolla's main show. I did about a 20 minute segment talking some Oscars and such with Adam. And here's the 10 year research. And guys, you're going to love this, Faz and Brad. 29 times in the last 10 years, there's been a favorite in the big six categories. Now, what's the big six? Is both actor and actress um, main and supporting. So that's four. Then best picture, best director. And that's the big six, unequivocally. So 10 years, 60 of those, six a year. There's been 29 that's had a favorite minus 500 or bigger. So about half of them, a little smidge less than half, had a gigantic favor. Those favorites, 29 and 0, undefeated. So, yeah, you're, you know, this year, for example, Gary Oldman is minus 2,500. So you probably aren't as anxious on that one. <laughs> uh, Francis McDormand, though, minus 1,500. All right. You've got, Del Toro in the director minus a thousand. You've got Sam Rockwell minus nine hundred, and you got uh, the I Tonya um, Janie Jenny uh, minus eight hundred. So I, you know, I always preach bet a little to w- or don't be afraid to bet a lot to win a little, right? Fez, you do that masterfully with the NFL Super Bowl props, right? You know, lay minus eight hundred, lay minus nine hundred. I'm not sure these markets are um, uh, the straddles might be big, so big that I, I'm not sure there's value laying the lumber here. But what I know for sure is you don't want to go against it, right? Because people and I got I remember one year I can't I, with Clint Eastwood I can't remember what movie it was, but I thought oh and he was like forty to one to win something. And I had a fee, I had some political theory that he would win, and yeah, you know, did it. I put a hundred on it to win like four thousand. But you know, you look at these numbers; they're literally saying, "Hey, twenty if 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 in any category that has a minus five hundred favorite or more, you either bet the favorite or you don't bet." Now, listen, at some point, this is going to end. But boy, there's a lot of history there. What I love about this is that I don't think the average better can distinguish between what is predetermined and what is very, very likely. 
So a kicker comes out to make an extra point. It's very likely if he's a good kicker, he's going to make it. But he can miss. But when you've got a situation where a guy is such a monster favorite to win best actor, there's just no way he can lose. He cannot miss that extra point. Yeah, and 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 again, we always are careful with there's no way, right? Because let's be honest, and, and this, you know, we're ending here, but if I would have said, did you guys watch the Oscars last year at the very end? Uh-uh. So you guys oh, probably heard the story, yes. though, right? Is one movie was announced the winner, and they would they walked up on stage and were handed the freaking trophy. Trophy. And if I would have turned to you, if we were all having an Oscar party, <laughs> and I said, "I'm going to bet you that Moonlight, which wasn't that movie, was the, is the real winner," what would you've laid me? You would have given me ten thousand to one. Well, I wouldn't have given it to you because I know you're such a wise guy, but I've given it to anyone else. I mean, so yeah, we should always say 99.99 or whatever, but hey, the unlikely things happen, right? It's, but I, I think you're right. These favorites are, and I think it's because of the herd mentality is with Oscar voting, it's all about the zeitgeist, right? They're hearing what their friends are saying at the Ivy or whatever, wherever they're lunching, and it, it, it seems to be self-perpetuating. Once, once the narrative starts, it usually continues. The one category without an extreme favorite is Best Picture, uh, three billboards is even money. Shape of Water plus one fifty, and then the third favorite of the nine is Lady Bird at twelve to one. So a lot of big long shots. And here's the last staff for you: in ten years, not one bet bigger than six to one has paid off. Wow, not one bet. So if you're betting something bigger than six to one, you're bucking a decade of history with the Oscars. Hey, Dream Preview, we preview, and hey, during. The 4th of July, we'll have a little hot dog Nathan's contest preview. Can you bet those in Vegas? No. Right? No. Can You, you can bet them in offshore. Most there's, folks, right? There's a few places that have the Vegas hot dog or the uh, Nathan's hot dog. I think Vegas Almost, does take the hot dogs now. I don't think so. They didn't last year. But I tell you this, when I do my radio spots... That week is almost all hot dog talk, <laughs> which somehow I'm an expert at. I don't know. I'm not going to say exactly. What. I've eaten a few dogs in my day. Kosher, baby. All right. Don't bet on it. Follow me on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Fez on Twitter. Fez Sports. F-E-Z-Z-I-K. Brad Powers 7 on Twitter. Talk to you there. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.